Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us today. Please know you're always welcome here at Trinity Lutheran Church. And we have uh, great joy to gather together and to receive Christ's Word and Sacrament on this day as we've reached the 13th Sunday after Trinity. And so with that, we'll hear a very familiar parable today. Uh, and so for more on that particular parable and the additional readings that we have this Sunday, I'll direct your attention to the inside of the back cover of the bulletin where we have that focused on Christ section, a summary of our readings for the service this day. The law cannot help us or give us life. Rather, it confines everyone under sin as wounded and naked before God. So it is the two figures of God's law, the priest and the Levite, passed by the injured man on the side of the road, as we'll hear about in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Only the promised seed of Abraham can rescue us and make us righteous before God. Only the Samaritan, that is our Lord Jesus, had compassion, as did the Samaritans of old. He came down to us in our lost and dying condition, pouring on the oil and wine of the sacraments. He placed, on us, he placed us on his own animal, bearing our sin and brokenness in his body on the cross to restore us. Jesus brought us to the end, that is, to his church, and gave, us the, gave the innkeeper two denarii, that is, his double forgiveness, that his double forgiveness might continue to be ministered to us. In this way, the Lord, by whose law we are torn and stricken, heals us and revives us by his gospel and raises us up with himself. We do have that great joy of receiving the Lord's body and blood this day, and according to his word and to his testament, he bids us to be in unity when we come to receive this gift not only in terms of what we confess about the sacrament itself, but in doctrinal unity. Unity is for what we confess as Christians. Therefore, all those joining us at the altar this day, we ask be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, joining us in one orthodox confession of the Christian faith. Our service setting this day is Divine Service Setting 1. As it begins on page 151, we now sing the first hymn. Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity, that we may obtain what you have pro and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. The Old Testament reading for the 13th Sunday after Trinity is from 2 Chronicles chapter 28. The men of Israel took captive 200,000 of their relatives, women, sons, and daughters. They also took much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. And he went out to meet the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. And now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves. Have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? Now hear me, and send back the captives from your relatives whom you have taken, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Certain chiefs also of the men of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Johanan, Berechiah the son of Meshillamoth, Jehizekiah the son of Shalom, 
and Amasa the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who were coming from the war and said to them, You shall not bring the captives in here, for you propose to bring upon us guilt against the Lord in addition to our present sins and guilt. For our guilt is already great, and there is fierce wrath, wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes and all the assembly. And the men who have been mentioned by name rose and took the captives. And with the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them. They clothed them, gave them sandals, provided them with food and drink and anointed them. And carrying all the feeble among them on donkeys, they brought them to their kinsfolk at Jericho, the city of palm trees. Then they returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Galatians chapter 3. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeepers, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, folks, he thought he had it all figured out. In the gospel lesson, we hear of a lawyer who stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, your Lutheran ears should already be tingling at that very question. Why? Well, listen again carefully. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We're clearly taught in God's word that there is nothing that you, I, or this lawyer can do to inherit eternal life. In fact, our inheritance, if we want to examine that, is eternal death. That is what our original parents have passed down to us, a sinful nature, a deep sinful corruption, a guilt leading to death. Such is the state for all humanity conceived and born in sin. So as you can see, the lawyer's question is quite flawed. Even so, this lawyer still thought he had it all figured out. After all, he was an expert in God's law, an expert in the law of Moses. You see, this is what type of lawyer this man was, a scripture lawyer. Therefore, Jesus draws him in with the questions of his own. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, knowing this man's heart, our Lord Jesus, he just lobs in a perfect softball for him. And the lawyer, he gives it his best swing. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And what is Jesus' response? You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, it's a profound answer. We spoke of that word, orthos, right, correct, last Sunday. He uses it again here. You have answered correctly, orthos. This man gave the orthodox answer. If this was Sunday school, the lawyer just got a 100 out of 100. Boom. Put the sticker on the board, right? Or think of it like this. It's a grand slam. It's as if the expert in the law crushed a four-run homer in the ninth inning with a full count leading his team to victory. He's celebratory. But as the lawyer thinks about Jesus' response, something bothers him. This is how St. Luke records it. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? It is as if the man stops at second plate as he watches the ball sail out of the park and he thinks to himself, Wait a minute, that was too easy. And it was. He's right. You see, dear saints, all too often we are just like this scripture lawyer. Regardless of how well we know the teachings of God's word, especially his Ten Commandments, we are tempted to think that we're pretty good on our own. We're tempted by the devil, the world, and our own corrupted flesh to think this way. We think to ourselves, I'm a pretty good Christian. I go to church at least, you know, twice a month. I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't cheated on my spouse, I haven't stolen anything, and I haven't said anything bad about someone else unless they really deserved it. I want good things for other people most of the time. I'm on my way to heaven. Well, did you notice a trend in those statements? I, 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 me, me, me. 
Just like the lawyer in the gospel, we hear Jesus' words, do this and you will live, and we arrogantly think to ourselves, okay, Jesus, hold my Lutheran beverage. I've got this Ten Commandments thing figured out. But that's when the same question hits us. Desiring to justify ourselves, we wonder, and who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells us his parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, you should know at the outset of this parable that the man who fell among the robbers in the parable is the lawyer. It's also you. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. You see, this lawyer was treating God's law and God's command to love your neighbor as yourself as an abstraction. In other words, he was treating God's word like it was just some kind of mental exercise, as though loving God and loving the neighbor was a purely intellectual and theoretical thing. This is a grave mistake. In fact, this false understanding leads to treating God and your neighbor like nothing more than some kind of printed case study on a cold, lifeless sheet of paper. Just like the lawyer, thinking this way can lead to believing that we actually do keep God's law perfectly or good enough on our own, and that is a deadly delusion. God's Ten Commandments are not a mental exercise. God's holy law is not lifeless words on paper. God's holy Ten Commandments are his living and active word, sharper than any two-edged sword, as it is recorded in the book of Hebrews, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Just as the man in Jesus' parable fell among robbers, when a sinner is confronted with God's law, he is cut down, beaten, and left for dead. This is what God's law does to sinners, to you and to me. This is what God's law does to all Sinners who look into it. Like a mirror, God's law reveals your sin and it kills. So also the priest and the Levite in the parable, or so also like the least priest and the Levite in the parable, the law, it has no ability to save you. The law, as it were, just passes by on the other side, leaving you dying in your guilt and unrighteousness, unable to save yourself. What you need then is a savior. You need a good Samaritan. And thanks be to God, that is who Jesus is in the parable and in real life. He is your good Samaritan. Continuing with the parable, our Lord said, but a Samaritan, and folks, we can't forget this. I'm sorry to interrupt it, but, but you have to remember, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. There's a long history there. They hate one another. The worst possible person that could have come along to help this beaten and bloodied Jew in the ditch was a Samaritan. So when Jesus says this, there would have been a recoiling from the description, a Samaritan? I mean, people would have spit thinking of this. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Dear saints in Christ Jesus, 
When you were confronted with God's good and perfect law, you were left beaten and bloodied in a ditch. This is not because God's law is bad. God's law is good, it is perfect, it is beautiful. It is we poor, miserable sinners who are bad, who are evil. We are, by nature, enemies of God. And yet, in his great mercy and compassion, Jesus took on flesh and he came to us from heaven in order to get down in the ditch and save sinners like you and like me. It is Jesus who kept God's holy Ten Commandments perfectly, never swerving from their perfect demands, never breaking them for a moment, not in thought, not in word, not in deed, not once. Not one jot, not one tittle. Jesus kept and fulfilled the law in your place. And then were that not enough, he bore your sin, your arrogance, your guilt and shame to the tree of the cross, and he suffered it as his own, the punishment that it deserved. There the sinless Son of God was slain for sinners. You see, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in his resurrection on the third day, Christ Jesus revealed to the world that his proclamation from his kingly cross, it is finished, is true and certain. For he is risen. He is living. He is victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And all of this, everything that he did, it is for you, for your sake, for your forgiveness, your salvation. It is your crucified and living Lord who found you on the roadside, dead in your sins and trespasses, and he picked you up. He washed you clean of sin and holy baptism. He anointed you with his Holy Spirit, and he brought you to the inn of his church. As we confess, it is in this Christian church that he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. God be praised for his mercy. And then leaving you in the charge of his called and ordained innkeepers, Jesus gives all that you need in great abundance. The two denarii of his word and sacraments. And with and by these means of his grace, you are cared for until the day that he returns to bring you to himself in the eternal glory of paradise, which will have no end. Again, God be praised. We deserve none of this. We deserve to die in our trespasses. But Jesus came and saved us. Jesus is your good Samaritan. Jesus is your Savior from sin, your all-gracious Lord. And we owe everything we have to his boundless love. But as you know, dear saints, this is not actually the end of the gospel reading. How does it end? Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, in the answering of the lawyer's question, in answering the lawyer's question with this parable, we see the beauty of God's love for sinners. Again, Jesus is our good Samaritan, but we must remember the whole point of this entire conversation. Jesus is answering the question, and who is my neighbor? And that answer has two parts. Part one, Jesus is your neighbor. Jesus is your neighbor who loved you such that he died and rose for your forgiveness, your life, your salvation. Again, Jesus is your good Samaritan who restored you to God the Father, washed away your sin in baptism, and he continues to feed you and to sustain you, this new life that he created in you by means of his Spirit through word and Holy Supper. 
So you are forgiven in Christ. Your sin is atoned for, your guilt washed away, all of it. You're loved by Christ. The way that you love Christ, well, it's not really the way we typically think of it because we think we have to do something in order to earn this love. But the way that we love Christ is by receiving in faith, receiving his word, receiving his sacraments. You see, just as the Samaritan took that poor man up into the inn and the the man was doing nothing, He's laying there in the bed, not dying, and only because of the care of the Good Samaritan. Jesus brings us into his church, and the way that we love him is receiving his word and faith and his sacraments and faith. The way that you love Christ as a Christian is by repentance and faith. Remembering your baptism, daily turning away from sin, and rejoicing and receiving his good gifts, his living word, and his life-giving sacraments. And you see, this love of Jesus, this boundless love of our Lord, it transforms us. God does not leave us the way we are. If he was going to leave us the way way that we are, we'd still be in the ditch. But he picks us up and he brings us into his church and he loves us and it transforms us. And that's what leads us to the second part of this two-part answer. And who is my neighbor? Well, part two. You see, your neighbor is not simply everyone. We love that answer because it just sounds so wholesome. And on an intellectual level, it's true. Everyone is your neighbor. But, you see, Jesus does not want us to be like that lawyer. That answer is too abstract. He doesn't want us regarding love for the neighbor as an intellectual exercise, a cheap piece of trivia. You see, Jesus calls us to love the way he does. Down in the ditch, cleaning the wounds, getting dirty, getting bloody bearing the burden of our neighbor and loving our neighbor in real flesh and blood ways. So to answer the question, your neighbor is the real flesh and blood person, the one who is nigh, the one who is close, your neighbor that God places into your path. And Jesus calls us to love them regardless of who they are or what they may look like or sound like, just the way Jesus loves us. But even that's a little abstract. So let's make it real. Jesus calls us to love those around us who are sometimes hard for us to love. Now in the context of our life here in Northern Missouri, that may mean loving and serving a neighbor who is in need, who happens to be really liberal in their politics. A difficult family member. Perhaps this person has a substance abuse problem or has always been someone you consider to be an enemy, someone that you have a long-standing grudge against, someone that you just, in your heart, though you shouldn't, you just love to give them the cold shoulder. And if that wasn't hard enough, remember the kind of love that God calls us to show our neighbor, compassion and mercy. And that word compassion, we need to break that down because we think we know what it means, but really it's meant in this Good Samaritan type of way. Compassion means compassion from the Latin, to suffer alongside, to suffer with, again, to get right down there in the ditch and be there with that person, bear their burdens in the midst of their suffering. And in the Greek, that word compassion, which Jesus uses in the parable, it's splank nidzomai. It's this gut-churning reaction. When you see someone in their need, your guts literally churn to where you can't not help them. You must. Your body moves you to do it down in your guts. We're called to show compassion. 
And then there's that word mercy. To be merciful means that when you have every right, it is your right to visit wrath and punishment upon someone. Mercy is withholding that wrath and punishment. Jesus calls us to show compassion and mercy to our neighbor, the ones that are, yes, even very hard to love. You see, this kind of love, it gets down in the ditch with your neighbor, it gets your hands dirty, your clothes dirty. This kind of love is hard. And don't worry, I'm not good at it either. That's the way Jesus loves us. And it's the love that he calls us to. And it's not easy. In fact, and sometimes can be dangerous. It was for Jesus. After all, this is the kind of love that got him crucified. But therein lies the point. We poor, miserable sinners are saved by the loving self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. God in the flesh who lived and died and rose for you. So thanks be to God for his compassion and his mercy towards sinners. Thanks be to God for his forgiveness and his grace, these gifts which are yours in his word and in his sacraments. So therefore, with the help of the Holy Spirit, let us live in daily repentance and faith, turning away from sin, receiving Christ's love and his mercy and his word and in his holy supper. Let us rejoice in these gifts and let us daily receive and live in the boundless love of Jesus, our good Samaritan. In his most holy and blessed name, amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, For the ministry of Christ, the faithful priest, whose oil and wine alone heal all wounds, remove the curse of the law, and bring into eternal rest. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, For the ministers of the new covenant, that they would proclaim forgiveness, life, and salvation in Christ, drawing all nations into the people of God. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, That God would cut short his wrath against our sin, make room for repentance, and forgive us for Christ's sake. Let us pray to the Lord. For those who fall into sin, that they would be brought to repentance and not rebuked beyond measure, but rather be returned to the communion of the faithful. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, For the Lord's gift of marriage, that he would preserve it against the ravages of sin, the schemes of the devil, and the raging of the world. And for the couples and families of our congregation, especially David and Gay Carpenter, Keith and Sherry Glenn, Mark and Reagan Carpenter, Thomas and Angel Montman, Josh and Aaron Waters, and Tyson and Sarah Bibb, and all who are celebrating anniversaries, that God would strengthen them in their love for one another and establish them on the foundation of his word. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, For the sick and shut in, especially Vanessa Burmeister, Charlotte Locke, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, Ted Phillips. For all those who mourn, And for all those in need of the Lord's mercy, let us pray to the Lord. For those recovering, including Norma Horine, Helen Tate, Nathan Burmeister, and Jennifer Courtney, that our good Samaritan Jesus Christ would grant continued healing and peace, let us pray to the Lord. For earthly rulers, that they would promote the good and punish the evil, exercising restraint in their judgments, so that goodness and grace may be established in our land. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, 
For those suffering from physical and emotional trauma, for those battling depression, for the mentally ill, for those orphaned by war and injustice, and whoever has been wounded by the wicked of this world, that the grace of Christ would soothe, uplift, and carry them through their trials. Let us pray to the Lord. For those affected by fire, storm, earthquake, or famine, that by the hands, feet, and lips of Christ's church, our Lord would bring help, comfort, and peace to those wounded in body and soul. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who commune, that as Satan once overcame our first parents through the eating of the tree's fruit, so Christ would overcome the devil among us here by the fruit of his cross, his body and his blood given and shed for the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray to the Lord. All these things and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again and now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Again, good morning and welcome to all of you on this blessed day that the Lord has given to us to receive his good gifts. A handful of announcements as we go into our week. Uh, First of all, one that's not printed in the bulletin there. Uh, A week from today, September 10th, Our brothers and sisters in Christ at Emmanuel Lutheran in Carrollton are celebrating a fish fry and a Sunday school kickoff that will be immediately following worship that morning at 11 a.m. You all are invited to attend that, and they also wanted me to let you know that there'll be croquet as well. I hear that can get quite competitive. Um, So please make note of that. That's next Sunday at 11 a.m. at Emmanuel in Carrollton. Looking ahead uh, to our week here, uh, of course, we have midweek school starting up this week. We're excited about that as the kids you know, come here and fill this place with their uh, laughter and their joy and also uh, their desire to learn God's word. And so we rejoice at that as midweek school begins again. Also, a reminder that we have a Heart Savers CPR and AD class that's to be held here at Trinity. That's going to be on September 23rd at 8.30 in the morning in the church auditorium. There is a cost associated with it. It's $20. Uh, However, the class then will last two to three hours. There's a sign-up sheet there on the glass case. Um, It is possible that the class will fill up, but we've been assured that uh, there will be more classes in the future. So please just go ahead and write your name down on that sign-up sheet if you're interested. The last day to register is the 17th of this month. And then also, just a reminder again, that the uh, third annual Oktoberfest is coming up on October 1st. Uh, So do make note of that as we continue our preparations to enjoy that great day where in the morning we'll receive the Lord's uh, word and sacrament and then later on that day celebrate uh, with the first article gifts that he has given to us. Anything that I may have missed? All right, seeing nothing, God's peace be with you as you are loved and forgiven by your good Samaritan. And with the help of his Holy Spirit, we go out and we show that same love and compassion to our neighbor, those whom our Lord places in our path. God's peace be with you. I'll greet you at the door.